Jimmy, I gotta take a dump. What? No. I mean, I need a dumpster. <sighs> well, for all those needs, you need to call Big V Dumpster Rental. Long Island, New York, 631-900-DUMP. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by... Because wine is your second favorite four-letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine. Yeah. All right, welcome back to another episode of Mantar's Memoirs with the mighty Mantar... Ooh. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Good day. How the hell is everybody doing today, man? I'm doing great. As you can see behind me, the sun is out in full force here in sunny southwest Florida. And I am back from vacation. And, you know, I have to start out. I just want to start out by saying, you know, life is tough sometimes, man. You know, um, I was on vacation. Everything was hunky-dory. Not a problem in the world. And, you know, I come home and now I have, you know, everyday shit I got to deal with, you know, and um, I got to tell you, life is fucking depressing sometimes, man. But you know what? If two things are for certain, the sun will set and the sun will rise the next day. And when that sun rises the next day, that makes you, gives you a free pass to set that reset button and start it all over again, man. Start fresh and new. And you know what? I just been plugging along, man. I haven't give up, and um, I'm here. I'm happy, and um, glad to say that. Uh, nice to hear that I can share some stories with you guys tonight, man. Good to see you, Michael Monty. Very cool, Mike. Very cool. Glad to see you too. Happy Fourth of July, by the way. A late Fourth of July. Yeah, you know, Fourth of July was great, man. I. Uh, I spent it with a couple of close friends and uh, my father and my daughter, and uh, we blew up some fireworks, man, had a feast to feed uh, kings and queens and slaves alike. And um, it was nice, man. I stayed out to about 1130 watching fireworks, blew off some of my own, man, you know, and um, yeah, man, life is good, man. I can't complain. Do you, you, I forgot. Do you have a dog? Do you have a dog at the house? We have two puppies and a cat, yes. How do they handle the uh, fireworks? Um, not too bad. They actually wanted to go outside and investigate, you know. So these little fucking puppies, man, they're they're curious as all hell about everything and which puppy should be, right? And um, so, yeah, so they, they did pretty good for their first, uh, first year only being uh, four months old, right? Not bad at all, man. Hey, by the way. You always open and close the show with that 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 Mantar moan. Where where did you get that from? Was that back from the wrestling days? You came up with that later on. Yeah, so that was part of the uh, that was part of the Mantar character. You know, I had to I had to come up with something like a Mantar call or a Mantar roar, and so I actually stole that shit from uh, Ric Flair. You know, Ric Flair gives you the old woo, and I just extended out long ways and go woo. You know, so thanks, Ric Flair. Appreciate the fucking uh, help. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Man. Yeah, man. That's nobody, nobody's ever asked me that question before, you know, and so I've never had to answer. But yeah, I stole that shit from Ric Flair and just changed it up a little bit. I figured, 
fuck, if it worked for him his whole career, it's got to damn sure work for me, right? And you know what? I'm I'm still here talking about it, so something's going on. Do you guys get pissed off when people steal your own your own shit, like other people's shit? No, you know, it just depends on 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 what it is, you know. Um, naturally, you don't want somebody stealing your finisher, of course, you know. Um, but little shit like that, man, you know, it, it's kind of an honor and a compliment um, to who you are and what you're doing. I mean, you know, your shit's good enough for people to steal. So, I mean, that's a good thing, right? That's a good point, man. Wasn't I wasn't really thinking about that. So listen, so you know, a lot of the fans out there, right? You know, everybody knows that professional wrestling is predetermined. Um, but I don't know if people realize that you are a true collegiate athlete in in wrestling. Can you uh, tell people out there how you got involved in wrestling and and your 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 what do you call it? Uh, high school, college career in, in wrestling? So at the beginning of my seventh grade, grade year in grade school, um, in Catholic school, mind you, um, I was getting bullied on a daily basis. And um, I came home one day and my clothes were ripped and, you know, I had tears in my eyes and my dad said, hey, Mike, what's going on? I was like, man, I said, I'm tired of getting bullied by these kids, dad. And he was like, well, I'll tell you what. He said, how many of them? I said, I don't know, four or five. And I said, the same kids every fucking day. And um, he says, next time it happens, he says, back yourself up in the corner. He says, and call the biggest guy that's in the group out. And when he steps forward, just fucking blast him as hard as he can. And I promise you, all the other little fucking stooges will run, run away. And the next day, sure as shit, that's exactly what fucking happened. And the principal actually brought me in the principal's office, was going to suspend me um, for fighting, of course. And uh, my dad came in. My dad was the mailman. And he came in about 2 o'clock in the afternoon and said, Michael, what are you doing in the office? And I was like, well, Dad, you know, we had that talk yesterday, and I did exactly what you told me. And now I'm in here, and she wants to suspend me. He said, oh, no, I'll take care of that. So after they had a little short conversation, when Dad comes out, he says, go upstairs, get all your shit, leave everything, this, the school shit here. And he says, get your shit, and I'll see you at home in, a, in an hour or two. And so that's exactly what I did. He told the lady, he says, listen, you don't want my son here? I'll pull him out. I'll put him in junior high. He says, you just lost yourself $2,000 of tuition. Have a nice day. And so I went to public school. And after being in public school a couple of weeks, uh, my woodshop teacher, uh, James Nye, he was like, uh, hey, he says, you know, Mike, he says, you're a pretty big dude. He says, you seem pretty athletic. He says, uh, you play any sports? And I says, yeah, I play hockey all the time. And I said, I've been playing hockey for, you know, six, seven years already. I says, I love it. He says, um, you want to think about coming out for amateur wrestling? He says, we could use a heavyweight. I was like, no, I never really thought about it. He says, well, you want to try it? I says, yeah, it sounds like fun, you know. He says, all right. He says, well, come after school. He says, and I'll send you a paper home. If you like it, you can have your parents sign it and bring it home tomorrow, and you'll be a part of the team. So I went to practice that night, and um, – I remember, man, the very first time that I wrapped my hands around somebody and, and locked my hands and fucking chucked him into next week, I was hooked. And um, I was like, this shit is fucking fantastic, man. I love it. I can get physical with people. And this is right up my alley. So, you know, I started wrestling. And, um, you know, I think my first year of wrestling, I think I lost maybe one, maybe two matches is all. And my eighth grade year, uh, I didn't really lose any and I got into high school and um, I just won two world championships in freestyle and Greco-Roman. 
And um, I was slated to be the uh, on the 1986 uh, Olympic USA Olympic wrestling team and had coverage all over the place, man. I was just, just shit was blowing up, man. And um, it's a four-time state qualifier, two-time state champ, um, national champion, uh, you know, won a lot of tournaments all over the country. You know, I don't know if you all know, uh, ever heard of uh, Bruce Baumgartner, but he wrestled heavyweight for the United States Olympic team back in the 80s. And he had a huge rivalry with this Russian and this Russian hadn't been beat in like fuck ten years in international competition, and Bruce Baumgartner ended up beating this cat and uh, winning the gold medal for the United States. And um, anyway, I entered this tournament out in the showboat. One of the local wrestling coaches uh, took me, and uh, we went out to Las Vegas and wrestled at the showboat hotel for the weekend. And I entered three weight classes. I entered uh, fifteen, sixteen. 17 and 18 year olds and then I entered the open division and um, cruised by the 15 and 16 year old division cruised by the 17 8 year old division won both gold medals and I ended up wrestling the open and at the time I think I had won one and lost one and I had to wrestle Bruce Baumgartner the next day and he comes up he says hey kid he says how old are you I says man I says I'm 15, I think at the time, he says, 15, he says, incredible man for 15. He says, you got some mad skills. I said, thanks, man. He says, well, he says, I'll tell you what. He says, you know who I am, right? He says, oh, I most definitely know who you are, sir. And um, I says, I'm going to give it my best. And um, if you can teach me something, please be, uh, go right on ahead and uh, do that. Um, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a willing and able student and I want to learn from the best. And um, he says, you're the only guy to beat the Russian in 10 years. He says, so you obviously are the best. He said, thanks for that compliment. He said, all right, let's go out there and have some fun. You know, we went out there, we wrestled, I don't know, maybe two rounds and um, the second period. And uh, he ended up 15 pointing me, but I did pretty good. You know, I scored a couple of legitimate points on him. And, um, and it was nice, man. It was a great learning experience. And um, yeah, I just... Uh, I did my career wrestling in the junior nationals in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Uh, took third in my weight division after cutting 30 pounds in 10 days. And uh, yeah, man, it was, it was great. And um, it just was, a, just was a great amateur. And um, I turned down a full ride to Oklahoma University on a wrestling scholarship and uh, just decided to play some couple of years of semi-professional football. And I did that, and I was 20 years old, and I went right to Mad Dog Vashon, who was an old-school wrestler that lived right over the hill from me. And uh, I was like, Maurice, I'm ready. He's like, all right, let me make a couple phone calls. And set first, he well, sent me up to Minneapolis for Eddie Sharkey, and then I so knew more quick, about wrestling. Where, where were you where you ran into Mad, uh, Mad Dog Vashon? Because I figured he lived in – oh, so he was in Nebraska, not in Minneapolis. No, he lived in Omaha, Nebraska. Lived just uh, right over the hill from me, actually, like two blocks away. So, and he'd lived in my neighborhood my whole life. You know, my dad was the local mailman. And so my dad used to uh, deliver his mail on a daily basis. And he used to throw my dad, you know, wrestling tickets all the time. The first time I was about 10 years old. I think I told that story here on the podcast before. Um, but yeah, he used to throw us free tickets all the time. And uh Great, great guy, man. Taught me a lot, man. We played a lot of pitch, a lot of cribbage, 
told a lot of stories, man. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to make some of my own memories. Right. So it all, it all, uh, it all worked out. But I tell you what, man, Mad Dog was one crazy son of a bitch, man. He, he got hit by a car. He was up uh, jogging when he went to see his brother up in Des Moines, Iowa, got hit by a car and left in the ditch for dead. And ended up flying him up to Canada and amputated his uh, right leg from his knee down. And so he was in a wheelchair for the latter part of his life. And, um, you know, his wife could never keep him in the fucking house, you know. And then he started getting old and senile and had dementia. And, and then he would just escape. And he would escape, he'd be gone, right? And I remember one snowy day, man, He it was fucking like, a foot and a half of snow outside and um he escaped and he got that wheelchair somehow out to the edge of the driveway and, and where his house was on the street it was straight downhill man for about four or five houses and um he got out in that street man and fucking away he went man in that wheelchair all the way down that street man and crossed over the intersection fucking bounced off a fucking curb and ended up in the snow People ran down there, Maurice, Maurice, are you okay? Oh, my God, he's dead, he's dead. He fucking rolled over, man. He was laughing his ass off, man. He had a fucking blast right until the very end of his life, man. What a good soul, man. He was such a great guy, man. I really I really miss him, man. He was a big influence in my life uh, when I was growing up. And um, just a great guy. And, he, you know, had a great wife. And, you know, Kathy just passed away uh, a couple years ago, God rest her soul. And... Um, she had Alzheimer's disease too. And so, you know, there's something in the water in that neighborhood, man, that I hope I don't get that shit. Well, let me ask you this. You, you mentioned that you turned down a full ride to Oklahoma state. You said Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Why? What, what made you decide not to go? I fucking hated school, man. I mean, I just hated it. I remember, we had a like a two, three hour meeting in, in school in the principal's office. There was the two representatives from Oklahoma, my two wrestling coaches, the principal, uh, my counselor. There was fucking like eight or nine people in the room for like three hours, man. They're talking to me. I'm like, fuck it. I can't do it. I just had to get up and walk out. I said, you know, I'm fucking done with this shit. I fucking hate it. Um, I'm done. And um, so I remember my, my head coach, he came up to my dad and um, he was like, Bob, he was like, got to talk to him. My dad's like, Bo, he's going to listen to anybody. He's going to listen to you. And um, he was like, I tell you what, he says, I'll give you one last chance, one last go at him. He says, how about you and the representatives and Coach Schutz come over to the house tonight for our spaghetti and meatballs and Italian sausage? He says, I'll make sure that he doesn't go anywhere and we'll have dinner and, and you know, we'll, we'll talk about it, you know, and I remember, man, I came home from school and I jumped in the fucking shower, man. I was fucking getting dressed, going out for a night of partying and, and I'm getting ready to walk out the door. I said, I'll see you later. My dad says, nope. He said, get your ass back in here. I said, what do you mean? He says, we got family in town. He says, they're coming over for dinner. He says, you want to go anywhere? You got to wait till they leave. I was like, oh, shit. I was like, all right. So I remember fucking doorbell rings and my dad says go get it so I went down there and opened up that door and I seen coach Hazlip and these representatives of Oklahoma I was like motherfucker and so <laughs> welcome to me and man we had dinner and they were very professional you know said hey Mike listen 
your studies are the least of our worries. We want to get you on campus and get you in the training room and start wrestling. He says, we got people, we can set you up with tutors, man. He says, there's no problem with working, doing them grades. And I was like, man, I fucking hate school with a passion. The reason I went to school was to play sports, you know, football, wrestling, and golf. And um, I just hated the fucking books, man. And, you know, I was a lot smarter, but I did just what I had to do to get by to play sports. And uh, I just turned down a full ride, man. I just wasn't interested and was tired of fucking school, man. One of the, one, one thing I regret today, because, you know, I could have got an education and got a degree and I would have had something to fall back on now, except I'm, you know, I'm on disability and I'm just a retired professional wrestler without a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. Let me ask you, as, as being a wrestler, though, I, I don't know if I have the times right, but was was Team Foxcatcher around while you were when you were starting to learn that trade? Team Foxcatcher. Yeah. I don't know if I'm familiar with that. So it was the Olympic. Uh, it was the it was the Olympic training uh, building. Um, all the wrestlers went there. Uh, it was. Uh, I don't want to make this too long if you didn't know anything about it, but John DuPont from oh, the yeah, famous okay. DuPont family yeah, okay, uh, created yeah. Team Foxcatcher and they had all the major wrestlers there at the time. And then he ended up, he ended up murdering, uh, you know, one of the Schultz brothers. But yes, I didn't know if, uh, right. I, don't, I didn't know if you guys, if you were around at that time, if that was a wrestler's dream to make it the team Foxcatcher. You know, I was kind of a generation younger than that. So them guys were a little bit more, a little bit older than me. But um, yeah, I remember that, man. That was, that's where everybody wanted to be. And that's where everybody wanted to go because the best of the best were at that fucking camp and in that compound and um, never made it. It would have been something would have been a lot of fun. Definitely would have been a learning experience, but who knows, man, I might've got my ass killed. <laughs> I, I don't know, dude, you, I can't imagine many people beating you on the mat uh, in, in a, in a real shoot, especially in wrestling. Okay. Um, so let me throw well, this out there. Go so, ahead. you know, um, you know, you heard of Gary Albright, right? Absolutely. All right, so Gary Albright was a Division One champion for the University of Nebraska. And I remember my freshman and sophomore year, I qualified for the state tournament, and my coach was really good friends with the Nebraska head coach at the time. And so he asked if uh, Gary would roll around with this heavyweight, which was me. And so they went and asked me. He said, yeah, sure, man, bring him over. So... I went in there and I got a couple good workouts. And I remember now, I'm 12, 13, 14 years old, man. I'm super young at the time. And Albright's in his 20s, probably 10 years older than me. And I'll tell you what, man, we, we stepped on the mat and I held my own with Albright, man, for about a period and a half and um, did really well against him. They were really impressed. And I gained a lot of uh, knowledge and a lot of experience wrestling Gary Albright. And then later on, in my early 20s, once I got into the business, I found out that Gary Albright wrestled was a huge star in Japan. And I ran into him and uh, talked to him and said, hey, man, he said, I said, you remember 19, 
83, high school state tournament, University of Lincoln in the wrestling room. Coach asked if you wanted to work out with a young kid from South Omaha. He was like, yeah, I was like, that was me. I said, no shit. So we, we had a nice little chat up reminiscing about that. And um, yeah, man, I think, didn't Gary Albright, didn't he die in the ring or something over in Japan? I think he. I think, I, think, he uh, I, I think you might right. Let me check it out. Hold on. I think he did. If I, if my mind uh, research, serves me correctly, I think uh, Albright died in the ring over in Japan in two thousand. Hold on. Let me see here. What we got here? Look at this. Kind of looks like you, man. I had forgotten what he looked like. Yeah, he had a big, long, fucking thick head of hair, just like I did at the time, right? I mean, yeah. we looked a lot alike. After he collapsed on the canvas, uh, all bright, I guess, uh, yeah, he had a heart attack in the ring. You you hit it right yeah, in the head, brother. That's what I thought, man. That's what I that's thought. A, that's, that's, not, that's not the way to go, that's for sure. So let me – you mentioned that you're on disability. When did well, you – Well, hey, body... listen. Listen, I know you said that's not the way to go. Right. But you, but you know what? If I fucking died in the wrestling ring, I would be one happy motherfucker. Explain, explain why? that. Why would you be happy dying in a wrestling ring, surrounded Listen, by a bunch I'm, of lunatics? If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna die, that would be one of the places I would want to go. And I say that because I love wrestling. I eat, sleep, and drink wrestling. I'm an old school wrestler. I have great passion for the sport of wrestling. And I would love nothing better. It would be an honor. It would be nothing better to die in a ring, wrestling ring, which I have the utmost greatest respect and passion for in my heart. You know, if I'm doing something I love and I happen to die doing it, well, then I'm one happy motherfucker. I can't complain. Right. And I'm blessed. I would consider myself blessed if that ever happened. You know, I don't know if that's ever going to happen because, you know, my wrestling career might be over. But you know what, ladies and gentlemen, let's just let me just put this out there. Mantar is on his way to getting in great shape. I've already lost like 35 pounds since I've been down here. If I can lose another 35, 40 pounds, you might see this big motherfucker in the wrestling ring again. And I know my body's beat up, and a lot of people say, Mike, you don't want to do that. Yes, I fucking do. Wow. You know, I still I still got a lot of entertaining in me, and I miss the job that much. You know, um, I really struggled for a long time when I had to retire from professional wrestling abruptly due to C6 touching my spinal cord, almost breaking my neck. And um, so I really didn't go out the way I wanted to. And um, so, yeah, I would like nothing more than to lace up the boots a couple more times and get in that ring and entertain some people. You know, it might be a whole different uh, scenario looking at me and, and doing that entertaining, but it's going to be entertainment just the same. So, yeah, so... I'm doing the best I can, man. You know, um, I'm hoping there's some movie roles in my future, so I'm getting in shape for that too. 
but I'm um, definitely got getting in, back in the ring in the back of my head. So, you know, there's everybody in my life is trying to say, Mike, you don't want to do that. Please don't do that. You don't need to do that. You're right. I don't need to do that, but I fucking want to do that. So before, before you started having your physical issues, right? Um, did you ever think about getting into the MMA action at all, being that your wrestling background and your size? You know, when I first broke in the business, so I started up in Eddie Sharpie's training camp in Minneapolis. And, you know, he's trained uh, a shit ton of big name professional wrestlers, you know, uh, Rick Rude, uh, the Road Warriors, you know, Super Chief Charlie Norris. He's you know, uh, the repo man, Barry Darso trained a lot of guys up there in Minnesota. Um, and, uh, I ended up going down to, uh, Larry Malenko's camp, Dean Malenko's father. And when I got down there, there was a guy down there by the name of Carl Gotch. You might recognize that name. One of the toughest shooters in the business. And this was before the UFC was the UFC. They used to send people over to Japan for these shoot fights. And, you know, I don't think they were all 100% shoot. Uh, I think there was some work involved in it. But, you know, the ending, the finishes were the were shoot. And they wanted me to actually go over there because I was so knowledgeable about uh, the different holds and the different submission holds. Um, I already had a lot of that shit in my repertoire. And so it was, came pretty easy for me, but they wanted me to fucking lose 50 pounds. And you know, I was probably 380 at the time. And I said, you know what? I'm not fucking down here to lose 50 pounds. I'm down here to learn the job. So I passed on the, on the deal, but you know, I could have made, Five, ten, fifteen, twenty thousand a week, right out of the fucking shoot, going to Japan and wrestling these shoot fights. But I, I chose not to. Um, and I could have went over there for one of the best at the time, Carl Gotch. So, you know, um, again, another missed opportunity. But you know, we all make our path in life, and we all make the decisions that we that we do for some reason or another. And it is what it is. It's pretty crazy stories, man. So yeah, let's man. let's bring let's bring it to today's wrestling. You're still watching today's wrestling. We've been on the phone a few times. We've discussed it, right? Yeah. Talk to me about today's wrestling against the wrestling that uh, you grew up on and that you were actually in. So I'm going to run oh. through some names that I want to I want to I want to uh, I want you to give me your opinion on them. All right. Uh, I'll start off with AEW, and we'll go, we'll start with uh, CM Punk. Great guy. Got his ass handed to him in the UFC, but still a great great guy, great talent. Generational talent. Uh, yeah, you know because you know. I really do consider the product today the drizzling shits. You know, not one motherfucker knows how to grab a hold. Not one motherfucker knows how to chain wrestle. Not one motherfucker knows how to tell a story. And if they do, they're sure not doing it on TV. You know, all this 
high flying acrobatic bullshit. That means nothing to me. That's not fucking wrestling. That's entertainment. You know, uh, you go back in the old school days when that shit was legitimately fucking 75% of fucking shoot. Those were the days now, man. Mad Dog Vashon, Vern Gagne, you know, Bruiser Brody. Those were the fucking days, man. Way back old school days. Um, these guys today, they can't wrestle a match. They, they can't tell a story. I think I think all the product on TV is the fucking shits. The best story in the past 25 years is the fucking bloodline. You know, that's the best story that the WWE's told in the past 25 years. Well, probably the only story, to be honest with you. Um, but they sure got their longevity out of it. And um, I'm happy to see that somebody in that company knows how to tell a fucking story. But yeah, I, I don't really like the product on TV today, man. I don't really have much, many positive things to say about the product. I mean, the guys are working hard and, you know, they're making money and they're putting asses in the seat. So it must be what the fans want today. But, you know, if that's the case and the fans have fucking gone soft on us, right? No, totally. I, I totally get it. I totally get it. What about L.A. Knight? He's a good hand, you know. He steals a lot of the rocks and stone cold shit. But you know what? Who gives a fuck? It worked then, it's going to work now. And if you got a talent that can pull that shit off, more power to him. You know, I seen I seen he's been taking a lot of heat on the internet lately about stealing all the rock shit and all the stone cold shit. Who fucking cares? You know, he's getting over, man. Let the fucking guy be. You know, he's out there working hard, man, trying to Try to get himself over, trying to put asses in seats. More fucking power to him, man. You know, plus he can wrestle. And he looks great. You know, he looks great. So, yeah, I, I think the guy's a great hand, man. I think he's going to go go far in this business. And I read a story, I think it was by him, actually, where he told me for like 10 years of his career, man, he fucking made no money. He was homeless. He said he didn't even have a fucking car part of the time. You know, he, he was just really down and out. Wasn't making any money. He was thinking about giving up. And now look at him. He's on TV making big bucks. Wrestling with the big boys. Understood. Understood. How about uh, MJF? Mm, he's great on the stick, man. Fucker can cut a promo with the best of them. I'm sure a lot of other guys wish they had that kind of charisma, you know, and his wrestling skills are, are pretty damn good as well. You know, I think, um, I think he's a little cocky, you know, but again, he's got a reason to be, you know, he's, he's the face of that company and uh, he's towing the chain. So more power to him. So do you think these guys, do you think these guys could have translated back to your day? Any of them? Uh, yeah, you know, I think guys like, you know, Roman Reigns, uh, MJF, LA Knight, there's a slight few out there. There's, you know, probably 15 or 20 guys in the business today that could tow that chain. 
but not fucking any more than that. That's for sure, man. A lot of these fucking guys are out there strictly for entertainment purposes only. And, you know, when I go out into the ring... I mean, Mike, is that a bad thing, though? Like, that they're just... That no, I mean... No, I mean, that's, that's, that's what it's all about. But, you know, when I go out in the ring, I want to have a great wrestling match. And... I want to entertain the people, but I want to have a great wrestling match first and entertain the people second, you know, and I'm still going to do my best job at both of them. But instead of just concentrating on entertaining the fucking people and giving them what exactly what they want, I also throw some wrestling skills in there and tell a little bit of story when I'm in there. You know, so, I mean, there's a huge, huge difference, huge difference, in my opinion. And I don't know what that's worth, but, you know, it's my show, so it must be worth something. It has to be worth something, but <laughs> I, I, just, <laughs> I just I just, find it, I find it a bit, um, I don't know, maybe it's just the athlete. I guess when you're done with it, you're done with it. Is that is that what goes on here? Because I never like I see a lot of the I don't want to call you an old timer man because I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm well, just but saying, I kind of you know, am. But it, it seems like you know all of a sudden you just shit on the new product, and I'm not saying you in general. It seems like everybody they're just not fans of the new product and they don't even watch it anymore because they only remember what they did. Well, listen, different times, different eras, different people, and I guess in 2023. All they want to want to be is entertained, and they don't give a shit how. And there don't have to be any wrestling involved. And um, you know, I was I was just watching uh, a little skit from old school WWE shit, and they had Eric Bischoff was on there, and Stone Cold, and and uh, May Young, and. Uh, she made fucking Eric Bischoff eat some fucking pie when he was stood with his back to her in the fucking ring and she went up and kicked him between the legs and the nuts. He fell in the fucking corner. She was wearing a long black skirt. She took that fucking black skirt off, had pantyhose on and fucking underwear. And she ran and gave him the fucking bucket Bronco with the face full of fucking puss, man. And that shit was entertaining. There was no wrestling in there at all. But that shit was fucking entertaining. I was laughing my ass off. And I forgot how great of an entertainer Mae Young was. Even in her 80s, 90s, that lady was still fucking entertaining, man. She was a class act all the fucking way. Whatever it took to fucking entertain the people, she was all about it. And that was some good shit, man. I was laughing. And it didn't have fuck all to do with wrestling. But, you know, there's a time and a place for comedy shit like that, right? As long as you don't see that shit every time. I mean, I actually did some comedy stuff one time in my life over in Germany. And that shit went over like a million bucks, man. So I know I'm a funny fucking guy. But when I want to be, and there's a time and place for everything. But if you're out there on a nightly basis, man, you better be doing a whole lot of fucking wrestling, man. You better be doing chain wrestling, putting shit together, grabbing a hold, telling a story. You know, make the guy... Make the guy chop that tree down 
And at the end, boom, he knocks that fucking tree down. You know, so don't happen today. None of that shit happens today. You know, and um, I just think that the fans have really gone soft because they think they fucking know it all, right? And they don't know fucking shit. They only know what we want them to know. And um, it's, I just think the fucking businesses went strictly to entertainment, which is not a bad thing because that's what makes the world go around today in 2023, right? Is the the green dollar, the, the money. And um, that's what it's all about now, money and ratings. Is it always been about money and ratings, though? No, I don't. I don't think so. You know, I think um, back in the day, back in the old school days, you just went out there and fucking wrestled. And if you got recognized for your hard fucking work, then more power to you, buddy. You know, because I don't know if they really had ratings back then, right? I just, I just think it was about putting asses in seats back then, and. Um, you know, so, I mean, it's always been about the money, but I don't think the ratings really had anything to do with it. But today, analytics, man, everybody looks at the fucking analytics. Now, if the analytics aren't there, they're going to make changes until they are there. This is true, man. This is true. So you're saying back in the old days, what was it all about then? Just putting asses in seats, man, going out there and fucking doing your job to the best of your ability. And hopefully there's fucking people out there that are buying what you're selling. And, you know, there were plenty of people. During, during your heyday, what was like, how many days a week did you work? Oh, fuck. Sometimes all seven. Sometimes all seven. We were on the road for 26, 27 days a month with Vince. He was a slave-driving motherfucker. Because it's always been about the money for Vince. Always. He don't <laughs> give two fucking, he don't give two fucking shits. Who you are, what you look like, as long as you can fucking make money for him. And when you're done making money for him, that cocksucker is going to take you out to the fucking green pasture and tell you to turn around. And he's going to put a rifle in the back of your fucking head. He's going to put a bullet through your fucking skull and lay you down to pasture because you can't make no money for him no more. That's all that motherfucker cares about is money. Rotten, rotten human being. Wow. Well, you want to elaborate a little more on that then? Well, it all goes back to the CTE uh, scandal, right? The lawsuit to WWE. You know, we shouldn't be self-employed contractors. We should be employers, employees. And we're being told where to go, what to do, what to wear, how long to do it, what's the finish. And we're not a fucking employee. Are you kidding me? You're telling me to do more things than an actual fucking employer does. And and you don't have to pay for my health insurance? Fuck you. Well, let me ask you let me ask you this though. Don't the other guys then shouldn't they have to pay for your health insurance like Fern Gagne? I mean, I know they're not they don't exist anymore, but why would Vince be the one that gets whole held, you know? made holding the bag listen if, if you're if you're part of a fortune 500 company and you can afford 
television, you can afford fucking lights, cameras, you can afford all that shit. You can afford fucking health insurance for your employees because you're that big of enough company to where you're making plenty of fucking money to where you can afford to pay for insurance for everybody. Yeah, it might cut into your profits a little bit, you know, maybe half a million dollars a year, maybe a million. Who gives a fuck? If you're making 250 fucking 400, 500 million a year, who gives a fuck about a measly million dollars? Right, you arrogant motherfucker, you greedy cocksucker. Fuck Vince McMahon. Hmm. Was there any promoter you liked working for? Yeah, man, I fucking loved working for Autobahns. And, you know, I loved every single independent promoter I worked for, except for this prick up in fucking Illinois one time. Uh, you know, I mean, at least they treat you with, you know, respect and they 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 appreciate what you're doing for them right vince mcmahon don't appreciate what the fuck you do for him because if you're not going to do it for him he's just going to go out and find somebody else to do it for you you know take your fucking place so you're replaceable by a thousand people you know you don't give a fuck who you are what you're doing don't care you know if you don't want to do what he's telling you to do somebody else will so yeah, he's just a ruthless bastard, man. Ruthless. And I well, understand. I understand that you have to be sometimes and when you have you're a business owner and you have that big of a fucking company. But come on, man. You know, you should you should throw these people a bone that are out there busting their ass for you over three hundred days a fucking year, putting their lives on the line every night that are that are standing on top of the fucking rafters waiting to be dropped from the top of the fucking arena that, 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 that dies, you know, have some fucking common sense, man. You know, show us that you fucking care about us. Show us that you appreciate us. And what's one way to show us the, that you appreciate? Give us fucking insurance. Well, with that, Mike, we're out of time. Um, do you want to send the fans out and we'll, we'll see you next week? Great conversation well, as always. Great job. You know, as everybody here knows, so first a couple things, man. So uh, just in the past month or two, I've opened up uh, all my social media accounts. I currently have uh, 5,000 maximum friends on Facebook. Um, I've opened up a TikTok under uh, Mike Halleck Mantar. And I've opened up an Instagram at Mike Halleck Mantar. So, you know, if you're a fan, like and share. I've been posting a lot of videos lately on uh, TikTok and Instagram, building up them followers slowly but surely. You know, I, I uh, accommodated over 100 followers on TikTok within the last 24 hours, which I'm really fucking pleased to, to say, man, because, um, you know, it's hard to get people out there interested in your shit. But one thing I've noticed is, the more things that you post and share on there, the more followers you're going to get. So look for a lot more things to come, folks, from yours truly, the Mighty Mantar. And, you know, my documentary is coming out later on this summer. Um, I have a book coming out called Mantar's Memoirs that we just started writing. And I have a action figure that's about to uh, be unveiled here on the 22nd of this month. 
by KWK Toys out of China. So we're going to be doing a Facebook Live or a YouTube Live uh, video kicking uh, kicking the little little Mighty Mantar action figure off. And um, so a lot of big things to come, man. So make sure you check out Mike Halleck Mantar on uh, TikTok and Instagram. And I will be keep sending you these videos and like and share this podcast. And you know everybody at Mantar's Memoirs, we have the motto of the day. And the motto of the day is, you only die once, but you live every day. Peace out, everybody. Mantar, love you. Bye-bye.